Welcome back, everyone. We are now in Chapter 7. We're going to look at listening in the family context. And because we have been communicating and talking in the family context most of our lives, even uh, from infancy in our own ways, we have also been listening. And so remember last chapter we talked about flipping the communication model and the focus being on that we get to take turns listening. And so uh, interesting dynamics happen in communicating, talking in a family. And so interesting things happen in families as far as listening too. In fact, um, an F word <laughs> often comes up when we think about listening and no, that F word may not be what you are thinking because I don't say that word, um, but frustration because the topic of listening inside of a family often comes with an experience of feeling of frustration uh, because we always don't feel heard and some of that is because we do we are different from our siblings and our parents we're all wired a little differently and so even though we're in the same family we have differences and there's a breakdown in communication um, and also we just have different experiences and expectations and there's a uh, difference in power structure and that parents are often the authoritarian role and um, kids are in the subordinate role and with that comes a lot of conflict and frustration. So I expect that students are going to share some of their own experiences in the discussion thread this week so I look forward to that. I'm going to keep it open-ended. I, I think I don't have to ask anything too specific. Um, for, in order for you to respond to the work that we're doing in this chapter. Last week I used a few clips from sitcoms and I want to continue with that this week. So I don't know if anyone has seen the show Malcolm in the Middle. Somebody send me an email or mention it in the forum so that, uh, so that I know that if that's a, a show that appears in reruns with your generation, um, with your age group. Um, Personally, my favorite was The Middle, um, so I'm always going to go with clips from The Middle when I can find some. But here we are. We have Malcolm in the Middle. Even in the most extreme, breathtakingly horrifying cases, there are some techniques that can't be useful. Yes. See, I told you this wasn't a waste of 90 bucks. Have you ever heard of active listening? No. Most teenagers act out because they feel no one cares. With active listening, you mirror back everything your child says, which shows you're hearing them, and by extension, understanding. I know, it sounds simple, but believe me, I've seen it work miracles. Yeah, I don't think Reese would respond to that. You're worried it won't help him. Yes, what if it actually makes it worse? I don't think I could stand any more trouble with him. Oh, this is so confusing. You're feeling mixed up right now. God, yes, I am. You know, I'm usually so sure of myself. But this whole thing has just made me question every aspect of me. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's really good. No. Okay, let's wait and see what happens here. Mom, I have a problem. I need to talk. Good. You can talk, and I will listen. 
This football player wants to use an essay I wrote for his college application and pretend it's his own. I know it's dishonest, but I might be making too much of it. I wanted to get your advice. You're hoping I can help you? Yeah, I just said that. So, I don't think he should get into college under false pretenses. But are they really false pretenses if nobody thinks he's smart anyway? I don't want to be a part of his cheating, but I also don't want to take away a shot at going to college. I just don't know what to do. You're uncertain what action to take. Yes. Why are you talking like a robot? You want to know why I'm talking like a robot? I have a problem and I need your help. All you're doing is mindlessly parroting back what I say. You say one thing and I restate it. Forget it. If you're not going to help me, you don't have to mock me. We do not come from a family of criminals. You do not let him turn in that essay. She says as he walks off. I want to share a resource with you that I think you might find helpful. I know there are a few of you who are uh, parents in this course. Most of you are not. But there's a book that I keep on my bookshelf. In fact, when I see it at thrift stores and such, I pick up extra copies. So uh, the one I'm looking at, I've paid a dollar for because it's been in print, not because it's not good, but it's been in print for a long time. Um, and it's um, really recognized as really an e exemplary um, piece of work is on parenting. And so it's called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. And it's by Faber and Maslish. And so look for it sometime when you're out or check your <laughs> check your parents' bookshelf. They may already have it. But it goes into some things, and I want to share with you um, some takeaways, just a summary. So William Eden provides a, a summary of how to talk to kids so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk. That's the name of the book itself. He gives a summary. So I'm kind of getting going to give you a summary of his summary. Um, last week, I was listening to a podcast, and I told another podcaster about the podcast. And so then he went and did a annotated podcast. So it was like a podcast within a podcast. So this is going to be a summary within a summary. So William Eden um, talks about this book. And what he says is, while it's attended for parents, to have better relationships with their children. He says the vast majority of the advice contained within it applies universally for all interactions. In fact, he found that the information in the first chapter was better than um, one of the other well-known books that had to do with nonviolent communication. So that's very high praise. So what this does is it's to cultivate, cultivate the attitude and mindset of compassion. Um, and that's one of the themes that is woven through this book. And you'll notice that that's also a theme that's woven through our textbook as well. And so William Eden states, empathy doesn't come naturally to us and may even feel counterintuitive. So it is something we must learn and practice. It turns out that love, spontaneity, and good intentions are not always enough to ensure good results. We need real skills. Role-playing and doing exercises can be incredibly helpful practice, particularly in advance of difficult real-world 
situations. So if you were to pick up the book, you're going to see that um, there's a good deal of space for people to write in and give their responses. And the other thing I think that people will appreciate about it is that there are a good amount of cartoons in which they have taken these real life examples of parents and children interacting with each other and they've um, kind of cartoonified it to give those examples. And so it just makes it very readable. Eden states that the book isn't about giving techniques to manipulate someone's behavior but about building cooperation and respect in both directions, so sender and listener, and um, asks us to be open and flexible to truly hear and understand the other person and taking that into account when we interact with them. So we can see that this can work with anyone, not just children. So let me go over a few of the principles that are in the first chapter. And so the cha this chapter is to help people deal with their feelings. Years ago, before I had moved to Iowa, I was I volunteered for Ingraham Volunteers. It was the 774 help number. I don't know who does the crisis line in Portland now, but that's what it was. And they um, trained us to help people who were in crisis. And the very first step was to make contact on a feeling level and say, you know, it's, it sounds like you're upset or um, I can tell you're frustrated, that type of thing. So some of that is going to come out in this chapter. So to help with feelings, you listen with full attention, acknowledge people um, with a word, um, give their feelings a name. It's very, it is very helpful. And even if you're wrong, it's okay. Because um, they'll say, yeah, no, I don't feel like that. Um, so it's important to not just be pretending <laughs> you're listening. And we've talked about that before. Put away other distractions. So even um, a simple um, distraction that you have, like your device um, in your hand, um, can indicate that you're really not fully uh, paying attention. By naming the other person's feelings, you're demonstrating that you're modeling their internal experience. You want to be specific um, and not just say, I know how you feel, um, because that doesn't really convey the care that actually putting out or naming the emotion. And by the way, it is absolutely fine if you are a person who doesn't have a lot of words for emotions. There are some great emotions list. So if you were to sit down and, and just um, name like 10 emotions, if you can't, if you get stuck and you can't really name more than 10, you may want to look at a list that's online, um, a list of 100 emotions, because um, there are some basic emotions, but then there's these shades of emotions that are similar. So um, the more vocabulary you have, the more helpful you will uh, be when you're listening and showing um, showing empathy. So as I said, it's okay to guess even if you're wrong, because even if you're wrong, there's you at least show that you genuinely are trying to understand where they're coming from. And also people can um, experience more than um, one feeling at a time. So they might say, well, yeah, I feel a little of that, but mostly I feel this. Um, and so you're going to be able to hone in on really the more intense uh, emotion. So, and then one of the things that I have trained myself to do is to not use the word but, <laughs> um, and I've replaced it with and, and I've discovered that it is more powerful. Like, so somebody tells you something and then you want, you know, yeah, but, um, or if I'm saying something, you know, all of this is true, but, 
if I just replace that with and, it just makes it more powerful because these things are true and these things are true because we can have more than um, one true thing at the same time. Um, and if you've ever tried to explain or share your feelings with someone and you didn't have the response that you wanted or needed, so you may be able to relate to these. So here's some unhelpful ways. And again, these are from How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. So it's a parenting book, but it's um, good for everyone. So unhelpful ways people try to help. One, they deny your feelings. How do they do that? You tell them how you feel like, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. Oh, you don't need to feel that way philosophizing, well, you know, this is just one of life's lessons that, you know, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, however they're going to um, philosophize. Um, advice giving. I know when I was first married and I'd come home and I would, you know, talk to my husband. I mean, by the way, he's got this right now. <laughs> but he would problem solve it. And I would always feel like I'm smart enough to solve the problem, but it's still tough. So advice, you want to be careful on that questioning um, because somebody is sharing and questioning can come up across as judgmental defending the other side you go to your friend you start telling them um, what happened at um, in an incident and they go well look how the other but think about it from the other side and since this is on family and we're looking at this from the children's um, parenting book you know you can picture a child coming home and telling them um, that they had an incident with another kid and then um, <laughs> and then your parent defends the other kid. So um, you know how that feels. So that's unhelpful. Also pity and then psychoanalyzing, um, you know, see, seeing what perhaps is our, our psychological defect, if you will. Those things tend not to be helpful. So here are some cautions. Um, caution that you don't repeat back things exactly what they said. And that's kind of came out in that example from Malcolm in the middle because <laughs> Malcolm called his mom a robot. So you don't want to just parrot it back. Uh, sometimes it may not be words that are needed. It could be presence and comfort. Another thing, the response to an intense emotion um, must be sufficiently strong and not stronger. So in other words, someone comes to you with an emotion and they feel upset, um, not helpful for then you to flip out. Um, and then when they call themselves names, don't use the word back to them. So if they say, oh, I feel dumb, and you say, well, I know you feel dumb um, or ugly or whatever that is. Um, so that's the first chapter of... Faber and Maslish's, uh, that's kind of hard to say, how to talk so kids will listen and listen uh, so kids will talk. So definitely um, something that would be a good addition to your personal library. What I'd like to do for this chapter on family is I'd like to take you all back to your own childhood and so that you could listen to some of the things that your mother may have said to you when you were growing up. And so, with the help <laughs> of Anita Renfro, uh, she's going to go over things that mothers say 
every single day. What I have done is I have uh, figured out what a mom would say in a 24-hour period, and I have condensed it to two minutes and 55 seconds. <laughs> so strap on your seatbelt. Here we go. Here's your clothes and your shoes, hear the words I said. Get up now, get up and make your bed. Are you hot? Are you cold? Are you wearing that? Where's your books and your lunch and your homework at? Grab your coat and your gloves and your scarf and hat. Don't forget, you gotta feed the cat. Eat your breakfast, the experts tell us it's the most important meal of all. Take your vitamins so you will grow up one day to be big and tough. So in the orthodontist, we'll be seeing you at three to Don't forget your piano lesson is this afternoon, so you must play. Don't shovel, choose slowly, but hurry. The bus is here, be careful. Come back here. Did you wash behind your ears? Play outside, don't be rough. Would you just play fair? Be polite, make a friend. Don't forget to share. Work it out, wait your turn. Never take a dare. Get along. Don't make me come down there. Clean your room, fold your clothes, put your stuff away. Make your bed, do it now. Do we have all day? Were you born in a barn? Would you like some hay? Can you even hear a word I say? Get off the phone. Don't sit so close. Turn it down. No texting at the table. No more computer time tonight. Your iPods, my iPod, if you don't listen up. Where you going and with whom? Close your mouth when you chew, we'd appreciate. Take a bite, maybe two of the stuff you hate. Use your fork, do not burp, or I'll set you straight. Eat the food I put up on your plate. Get an A, get a door, don't get smart with me. Get a grip, get in here, I'll count two, three. Get a job, get a life, get a PhD, get a dose. I don't care if started. You're grounded until you're 36. Get your story straight and tell the truth for once, for heaven's sake. And if all your friends jumped off a cliff, would you jump too? you enjoyed that and uh it'll be interesting to see how many of those things sound sounded familiar i said so i said so i said so and <laughs> where'd you grow up in a barn there's another piece of information a supplement that i wanted to give you your textbook talks about the types of families um, pluralistic consensual and laissez-faire and protective but I wanted to give you um, another some other names for this. Barbara Coloroso um, has written several books. She does lecture series. So let's hear what her three styles of parenting, let's hear her describe it. 
there are three kinds, uh, brick wall, jellyfish, and backbone. Uh, the brick wall is a very highly structured family. It's my way of the highway. Um, it teaches kids what to think, not how to think. Uh, and when a kid makes a mistake, they're the problem, not we have a problem to fix, but you're the problem. They often will hide and be shamed of the mistakes that they make. Jellyfish family um, is just like the jellyfish. There's no structure, anything goes, there's no rituals and traditions that are for healthy families and the like. Um, and there are two kinds, jellyfish A and jellyfish B. Jellyfish A, anything goes. Jellyfish B is the neglectful parent. And I'm not just talking people that may be living in poverty because many people living in poverty can have a backbone structure. And we often think of that, and it's a stereotype. But you can be a family that's a high-powered couple who um, go off to your own power breakfast, but there's no ritual and tradition for your child to have a breakfast kind of thing. And, and we're too busy with our own lives, or we're locked in our own issues. But a backbone family, if you look at a backbone, gives you flexibility you don't get from a rigid brick wall. And we need flexibility raising kids. But it also gives us an environment that's conducive to creative, constructive, and responsible activity you don't get from a jellyfish. And we need both flexibility and an environment that invites creative, constructive, and responsible activity from our kids. So a child makes a mistake, breaks a glass, the brick wall. You clutch a kid, I swear you're going to use plastic the next 30 years of your life. Get out of the kitchen, which says, when you have a problem, you are the problem. Those are kids who will hide. And if you ever see this, it's brick wall. And what I suggest you do is this. It does two things. One, it gets your finger out of their face. And two, it keeps you quiet long enough to think of something a bit more constructive to say. And I also suggest you check out which parent taught you to do it. Because they're probably still doing it. I told you not to marry him. You know, kind of thing. You. Um, you learn it. We, we grow up in families. And we learn it. Jellyfish family. Uh, oh, sweetheart, honey, don't worry about that. I'll get it. Uh, I, I didn't mean to give you a, such a slippery glass. Can I have some chocolate milk when... Well, I pick this up, which says to a kid, when you have a problem, somebody else's fault. And then I get your kid in school. And he says, wasn't my fault. Worksheet wasn't dark enough. Teacher didn't give me enough time. The kid behind me was bugging me. Or the classic, you don't understand, teacher. He hit me back first, uh, which says it's somebody else's problem. Backbone parents, look at that little one, says, you have a problem, go get me a bag. Three-year-olds can't pick up glass, but they can hold a bag. You put the glass in, they help mop the floor up, and then you say, which of these two plastic glasses would you like to use? Which says to a kid, when I have a problem, when I need a good plan. Not a good excuse, don't blame somebody else, but a good plan. And that flows through in all areas of their lives. Um, and maybe you came from a brick wall family, or you were raised in a jellyfish family. All I ask you to do is examine those parenting tools we have up here, because we all do. Um, and what tools do you want to keep? And if there are tools you'd like to get rid of, you can't just get rid of them. You've got to make sure you have healthy tools in their place. And that's why it's a very healthy thing for parents to read books, attend parenting workshops, get help if you need it, um, and say, you know, we're, we're so brick wall or we're so jellyfish here, and we do need some help. Um, I'm very hopeful because I, I know in our own family we can, we can change. We all come with our own agendas. We all come with our own histories. But we can work at making sure we have a backbone family for our kids to thrive in. Uh, and it's never too late. People say to me, yeah, but you know what? <laughs> the kid's 15. Is it too? It's never too late. You're both kicking and breathing still. Uh, and you say, kid, you know what? We got a lot of catching up here to do because you're going to be leaving home soon. And it's important that you make all your own decisions and be responsible for your own behavior 
by the time you're 18. So we got some catch up here and we got to work on this together. What responsibilities and decisions do you think you can assume now? What responsibilities and decisions am I going to keep? Because there's some you're not staying out till midnight. Thank you very much. Um, because as a wise and caring parent, you, I'm not going to let you do that. Uh, it's not healthy for you. Uh, but there's other areas that you can make decisions. So we're going to play a little catch up here. And uh, we've got to remember that when we're tired, worn out, and frustrated, our mother's words are going to roll off our tongue. Our father's hand may go to hit and say, I wasn't going to do that. Uh, but it's it's not too late. And, and you pull back and say, I blew that one. Let me try that again. Walk around the block and say, I'm coming back in here. We'll try that again. Stories and communication patterns are so important in our lives. And a lot of them are set from the families that we grew up in. And, and of course, not all families look the same. They all have different experiences, different sizes, you know, different everything. But yet... Uh, the communication styles, the, uh, the stories, the ways that they record the stories, the way that they retell stories. I know I love listening to the Moth um, Radio Hour. I put in a story from the Moth this week. I love listening to This American Life. My favorite books to read are memoirs. I just love hearing family stories and listening to how um, families deal with their struggles, um, be able to capture and put meaning into their experiences. And so that all comes from listening. And so I try to listen to my own um, family stories. I actually am the family genealogist um, for, <laughs> I guess for both sides, for my side and my husband's side. Listening to those stories are so powerful. Uh, and then listening to other people's stories again, my love of memoirs. So I hope this is a rewarding chapter for you, just reflective of where you come from and making decisions about what are some of the communication patterns you want to take with you. And as Barbara Coloroso just was talking about, and which ones do you want to um, tweak and want to change? And again, you can go back to the textbook or going back to Faber and Maslisch, um, their book, uh, for some resources along the way. So I hope you enjoy this week. One more thing before I go. I just mentioned that I'm the genealogist and I like family stories. So I do have a TikTok account. I don't have a lot on it, but I do have an interesting family story. So if you want to look for me, go right ahead. And I have a 10-part story of something that happened in my family that nobody that I know ever knew about. So there's a teaser. Uh, you can look for me, Gloria Shot, on TikTok. <laughs>